welcome to the False Neutral Podcast, episode 57, with Eric and Garrett and myself all in attendance this evening. Uh, unfortunately, life got busy for us last week, and we had to skip a week, something we don't... I think this is only the second time that we've had an unscheduled interruption. Yeah. But uh, we're all here this week. I... uh I was uh, many uh, different calls today, including one which I'm going to be in Garrett's backyard in about a month. But unfortunately, all my time is scheduled for a press trip. So unfortunately, uh, I will not be able to hook up with Garrett in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd, good I'd, luck. <laughs> I didn't get terribly close to Portland, but I was uh, in his part of the country this weekend, was up at a family wedding in Pullman, Washington. So I flew into Seattle and. Unfortunately, had a 12 and a half hour flight delay. 6 a.m. we arrived for a 7.05 flight. And we were expected to get there in the morning, quarter to 12, and ended up getting there at 12.15 a.m. the following day. So, and on the way it home, <laughs> uh, left on time in our little, uh, Bombardier, what is it? A Q, Q400 prop jet. And about halfway across the state of Washington, they announced that we were not maintaining proper cabin pressure and we were going to have to fly over the Cascades, not exceeding 10,000 feet above sea level. So we wow, flew that's really a, low. <laughs> we flew in a very, very bumpy cloud the whole way across the Cascades. <laughs> wow. So you had to <clears throat> almost thread a needle at 10,000 feet to get yeah, through some of that. Yeah. Go around Mount Rainier. and. <laughs> but we made our connection and got home, so that's all did I you, heard about. So your layover, were you just in the airport, or did you have to like spend some ridiculous amount of time on an airplane while they decided that it couldn't? We spent, uh, we were literally in the plane with the door shut, ready to pull away from the gate when the captain announced that they had a piece of navigational equipment in the, in the cockpit that was malfunctioning. And then it was, we're going to bring somebody in. No, we don't have a technician. We're going to hire a contractor to come in. No, we're going to have to replace the part. No, the part isn't here. Oops, it's going to be six hours. And then it was, oh, no, the crew that was going to fly the plane here has timed out. So they can't come for a certain amount of time before they can fly. And it was we were there, I think it was about an hour, 15 hour, 20 on the plane before they finally said, go ahead, deplane. We spent oh, that's the, next, the worst. We spent the next two and a half hours in line trying in vain to get an earlier flight. And we actually did end up on an earlier flight. Unfortunately, we still had to wait for the same late connecting flight to get into Pullman. So got an earlier flight so that we could have dinner at SeaTac, which is a much nicer airport with a whole lot of uh, nicer amenities inside of security than KCI. Yeah. So did, did you spring for the... Uh uh, Admiral's Club or something since you were going to be hanging around so long, but no, actually, actually, I have to say, SeaTac is one of the nicest airports for having to do stuff inside of security because they have so many international flights that, uh, they have got a lot. We were in Sea Concourse and had a delightful time in the big kind of atrium where all the restaurants are and, uh, had our choice of different cuisine and stuff. Kansas City. It was designed in like 19, I think it opened in 74 or something like that. And it was before they had secure areas. 
So they have three concourses that are all just crescents that you pull up right in front of your gate. And the and the pitch used to be you were always 50 steps away from your gate when you got off the curb. But because of that, uh, they have these little islands of security that are just glassed off partitions around one or two gates. And each one of them has a separate entrance. So if you want to do, get anything other than a bottled water or a granola bar from a little snack counter, you have to go outside security in Kansas City. And anybody who wants to transfer from one plane to another has to go outside security. Sometimes you have to get on a bus to go to the other concourse mm. and then go back through security to get on your plane. No airlines <clears throat> have have connecting flights through Kansas City because they're just... L- LAX is a bit of a mess like that, too, where you have to go in and out of security depending on if you're switching terminals. But Yeah. Seattle, uh, SeaTac, I've been through twice. Um, and the one thing I always know is that, uh, you truly have to be there early, even if you're pre-check, because even in pre-check, the lines are long to get through security. <laughs> if you're not pre-checked, you better be there about two and a half hours early because those lines are enormous. Well, anyways, let's talk yeah. about motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> let's. Two episodes ago, we talked about engine balancers and things like that. And in response to that, Bob mentioned the T-Max 500. And I thought it was just talking about horizontal cylinders because that's mostly – that was the main topic. But he got back to me on what he referred to as a dummy cylinder, and he was absolutely correct. This totally flew under my radar, but the T-Max 500 engine has cylinders that are pretty much horizontal, and to balance them – they have a dummy cylinder, a big heavy piston that has no head, no compression, no valves, no nothing, but it's a cylinder with a piston facing to the rear. It's literally a counterbalance piston in its own little cylinder that's just open on both ends. It's that's the most really bizarre weird. thing. Yeah, it's really weird. And he sent me a, a cutaway and it's like, Oh wow! It literally like, has literally a dummy it, cylinder. It, it has a <laughs> fake cylinder that's there just for balancing in between the two that are forward that points backwards. It seems like uh, a waste of potential <laughs> to not just like <laughs> yeah, make it a three-cylinder yes. that fires. You know. Well, unfortunately, like there's a transmission where all of the like cams and valves would have to be, so it yeah. would make it a whole lot longer if you did that. Yeah. But yeah, extremely bizarre looking engine. Yeah. So thank uh, you, Bob, for listening and for educating me. Valentino Rossi's first in points now in GP, which yeah, is kind of amazing. I, it well, it's cool that um, a he's in MotoGP years older than dirt, um. And also that he hasn't yet won a race. He's just been really consistent. Yeah, he's been on the podium um, all three races. Yeah, yeah. So maybe he'll get his wish and have another championship title and then be maybe have a son sometime in the future. Because I know that those are two things that he really wants. So, But yeah, I just thought it was interesting that he's in first place. So, Yeah, last race was at uh, Coda a couple, couple weeks ago now. Uh, they're racing this weekend and uh, hurrah yep. as we record this. So by the time you listen to this, that race will be over. And then we'll see where he's at then. Exactly. Uh, 
We have talked before about the Vitpilen from Husqvarna, and I was thinking, well, shouldn't that be released? So I did find just earlier this month, someone had a photograph of a production Vit Vitpilen. I'm I'm still not sure how to pronounce it. It's Valpone. Yeah, <laughs> from the uh, Husqvarna dealer convention in the U.S., and they've done a pretty good job of making a really nice-looking production bike somewhat ugly. It now has a new paint scheme that has the back half of the tank in black, the front of it in white, and the swing arm-mounted uh, fender and license plate carrier are gone, and they are now back up on the tail in the conventional position. And it had a really bizarre thing in front of the headlight that was colored plexiglass where you can, on the edge, see color, even though it's clear when you look through it. The whole thing looked uh, really kind of tacky and ugly compared with how it looked when we saw the first production ones. Yeah, the latest pictures, it looks really dated, the design. Like, it looks really 80s to me. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It, it's... I, I, I like the color scheme, but the the front fender looks so un, unsubstantial. And also, I don't know, maybe it's just the picture, but the rear tire just looks really small. Like it's almost undersized for mm-hmm. the size of the bike. Uh, like the proportion just doesn't quite look right. And the, the front green plexiglass illuminated <laughs> shield uh, just looks kind of 80s Tron. To me. I'm wondering if that's something they just did for, yeah, because I can't imagine that that would be DOT legal to have a if, cheap and if piece you look of at, plexiglass in front of it. If you look at it a little bit from at the right angle, it looks like it's like lit with purple, like there's purple lighting high, highlighting yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's probably throwing off the the looks a little bit as well. Yeah, we'll see, but it looks kind of weird. Well, they're going to sell all of what a hundred here in the U.S. anyway, so yeah. Well, uh, the other thing is, it's now being shown as a 2018 model. Well, so I'm thinking, of- I'm thinking, okay, when is this actually going to have a release date? Because they're not saying anything so far about price or release date, and I'm wondering if they're oh, not. Any, any time between now and the end of the year can technically be an 18, because uh, automotive things that are being released right now and they're tagged as 18 at this point. So, yeah. They had previously announced it as a 17. I'm wondering if they're having some production issues mm-hmm. yeah. that Possibly are delaying be. it. Yeah. Right, next up is, uh, Pete, you want to talk about the, the street rod? Yeah, I've been reading reviews for the Harley street rod. And a lot of times when you read reviews, somebody doesn't like this or somebody else doesn't like the other thing. And it's rare that you have one issue that everybody brings up and every single review I've read about the street rod says the ergonomics are horrible because the pegs are way too high. They're way too outboard. They're, they're too far away from the center line of the bike and forward to back. It's just a weird rider triangle. Everybody said it. So it's gotta be really obviously wrong and I was reading, I think it was Motorcycle.com. They actually 
suggested that Harley came out and said, yeah, we know it's wrong, but the mandate came down from the bean counters or from the executives or whatever that they had to stick with the regular Street 750 exhaust and trying to fit the foot peg around the exhaust is what caused this to have such screwed up ergonomics, which is just so typically Harley. Yeah, We're and gonna that's going to cost them. Suddenly, this went from, hey, this could be a really cool bike to, up, oh, nope, something else that's just for hipsters to ride to the corner and never go more than 30 and, miles in a stretch on. And, and you can see in the in the pictures of the side profile of the motorcycle how where the foot peg is couldn't really be anywhere else with that exhaust on it. So mm-hmm. I, I do see how the foot peg placement, you know, why it's where it is, but it seems so short-sighted to not spend the money on that and just say, I'm going to ignore the exhaust placement, put the foot pegs wherever we can fit them and then have a bunch of bad reviews and, you know, hurt your sale. So I realize that it's probably EPA certified and they didn't want to have to recertify it because that's a very expensive process. But if Cobra exhausts can make EPA certified exhausts at the size of that company and the number of aftermarket exhausts they sell, I find it hard to believe that there wasn't an alternative for Harley. And this is something other than just what corporate bureaucracy at its worst. Yeah. Somebody said, no, heck no, we're not going to spend that. And that was the end of it. A couple things just uh, I can think of is a, they had a budget and they were already at or over budget based on other items that, they had to do for the bike um, or well, that's probably part of it. B certification. As you said, it's not cheap. And, and then I guess the third thing is they might've bought so many of these exhausts or had a contract for so many of these exhausts, you know, they overbought or overpromised on a purchase, which is not uncommon in the automotive world. Ask me how I know when my wife's an accountant and does purchasing agreements, but uh it's probably a combination of all of that. The the only thing I can think of that may complicate this is I'm sure that is worldwide certified. And I know the ECE, uh, the yeah, noise and Euro the German, and- German type approval, all that kind of stuff. It may be if we just certify this for EPA, then the United States is the only place we can sell this. And that's not their main market for the street series. So, I could kind of see them thinking, well, no, maybe that's not the best move if we can't certify it around the world without spending a whole lot of money and possibly a whole lot of time. I know at least for some of the type approvals, there's a really long turnaround. It still sounds like it ruins the bike, and I'm really disappointed about that. Yeah, I was like marginally excited about the bike when it first came out, but I don't know. I didn't really realize that the foot pegs were in the wrong position, but now that I've heard that they are, and then you look back at pictures where there's like a person on the bike, you can see like, yeah, that does look kind of in a weird place. Well, they're, they're too far forward and too high. So you end up with your knees up next to the tank and then you have low bars. So you have to lean forward. Yeah. I, I haven't read one review that did not complain about the ergonomics. Yeah, it looks like it puts a ton of stress on your lower lower back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good job, Harley. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we should have had who's the V twin fan that we've had on the show before. Oh, Wayne Moyer. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Should have had Wayne Moyer on. 
I haven't told you guys yet, but I sold a couple of motorcycles. What oh. did you sell your TX? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I sold the TX 750, which I swore I would never do, but it happened. You, and I also, <laughs> you I, are the buyingest, sellingest I, guy. I'm the worst. I am the worst. And you know, like, I, oh, like, Every motorcycle I've ever had, I have told myself, I'm not going to sell this one. Within a year, I'll sell it. Like, it's clockwork. <laughs> so I also sold the Supermoto, the Yamaha Supermoto. So those two bikes are now gone. They're in uh, the hands of new owners. And so they're excited. I'm, I was actually really sad to see both of those motorcycles go. But I just didn't see myself ever riding the Supermoto. I just didn't really have much interest in sitting on the seat that's three inches wide. There's just like really nothing that I had to have about it to keep it. So I sold that. The TX750, um, I just really couldn't see myself putting many miles on it and enjoying it. And then when we were <laughs> our last episode, we were talking about how many bikes is too many. And then it was the picture that I took with my garage full of motorcycles. <laughs> and remember, like that that's not even all of the motorcycles. Um, I realized I had too many motorcycles. I answered my question and I didn't even know it. So I sold two. I still have the Honda that I bought back in the winter time that I repainted, the CB650 Nighthawk. Although that is going to go up for sale also. And now it's time to look for a motorcycle to replace the three. A motorcycle to replace the three. Now, you complain about working on bikes, but then mm -hmm. when you get them painted and you get mm -hmm. the the <laughs> engine internals sorted out and you get the carburation sorted out on them, yeah. you sell them. No wonder you complain about it. You don't hold on to them to enjoy them. And just think about the benefit that the buyer gets. I have gone through and fixed everything. Uh, yeah, that's probably why the motorcycles, I, maybe I wasn't asking enough for them, but I posted them, let's see, on Sunday night, and both of them were in new owners' hands by, like, late Monday morning. Wow. Yeah. So, in other words, not only do you sell them, you also don't ask enough money for them. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the Supermoto, I felt like that would be not a difficult sell, but I don't know. Not everybody's looking for a Supermoto. It's just kind of one of those weird bikes where it doesn't really serve any one purpose very well. So, I just felt like you kind of limit your market. Um, and I didn't get a bunch of calls on it, but the very first person that called came and bought it. Uh, without any hesitation. But my TX750, I had a line of people. There must have been 10 people that contacted me in the 10-hour span. And there were some really upset people that I had to tell it was no longer available. So That's the opposite um, problem I'm having with my car. I've had it for sale for months, and I've paid money to have it listed all over the U.S., and I've had exactly zero calls and zero texts on it. Really? Yes. I'm surprised. That's a really nice car. And I think I'm asking a fair price. Yeah, I know. eBay might be next. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> but that's I, that's cool. I, I mean, you know, Supermoto, that's cool. And it's probably limited market. But if you know you want it. Well, and that Supermoto want it, right? was absolutely and honestly the nicest Supermoto anybody will ever find. 
Um, I, it was just so exceptionally clean and so well done. Um, everything was just super high quality on it. And so, um, if somebody were looking for a supermoto, there is nothing else like it. So, um, at least nothing else even near as nice. I put 270 miles on that bike. So it was virtually brand new. Um, and then the 750, you know, I felt like that would be kind of a hard sale too, because, you know, it's a two year only model and the 73s were known to be pretty unreliable, but I had a line of people. Yeah, but they your, wanted it. your starter clutch was just a piece of art. Yeah. And, and the bike was really, really clean for being, you know, 43 years old. So, um, but now I'm looking for a new bike and I, I don't know what I want to get, which I think is funny because I spend a good portion of every day thinking about motorcycles and it seems like one person would know, like if you had somebody that's nuts about motorcycles and, and sells a couple, comes up with some cash, you would think they would know exactly what they want next. But I seriously have no idea. Um, All right. So so what's the budget and what are your criteria? I would like to stay at or below six thousand. I I could spend more than that, but it just kind of depends on what it is. So. I was thinking that I wanted a sport tourer and I was leaning towards something like a second gen FZ one. Um, but then I, I've been spending a little bit of time writing my friends, Aprilia Tuano. And then I got to thinking that maybe I could build like a Japanese version of a Tuano where I buy something like an R one. And there's this company that makes uh, a, a handlebar kit for the R1 that um, they're not, they're not clip-ons. They're actual like cross like dirt bike style handlebars, I guess for lack of a better term, but it comes with a new top clamp. Um, the company is called Spiegler. If you just like Google oh, yeah. um, R1 LSL bars, yep, it's a exactly really, really open. nice kit. Um, and it, it substantially improves the ergonomics of an R1. Um, of course, it wouldn't make it into a, the Tuano ergonomics, but, you know, moderately close enough. And so now I want something that's sporty, like perhaps sportier than an FC1, but not as uncomfortable as an R1. So, and how, so how much power does it need to make? Are, are you talking you want a liter, four-cylinder, you know, yeah. 100, 100 and 80 gazillion horsepower or yeah uh more than an fz1 which does have the r1 motor but not entirely the same um i mean i honestly would like 150 plus horsepower (laughs) in the realm of the r1 well all of my suggestions that i was going to think of for six grand just went out the window with that little criteria (laughs) and i assume you want something uh, fuel injected because yes. you can't get so, that kind of power without it. Okay. I've spent way too much time working on motorcycles over the past few years. I want something that has extremely long intervals on valve adjustments, uh, fuel injected, something that if it is 10 years old is really clean, like exceptionally well cared for, um, which makes the R1 choice kind of difficult because it's not 
often that you find leader sport bikes that were owned by a responsible adult who conservatively rode them and maintained them and didn't lay them down and, you know, so on and so forth. So, um, I like to keep my bikes in particularly good condition and I would expect whatever I buy to be that nice. So man, if you want really good condition and 150 plus horsepower for six grand, I'm, I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> Well, and so that brings me to my second question is when do I buy? I it so I haven't decided on a bike yet, but if it is an R1 for instance, I think that I could get what I want with say I was I leaned towards the 04 to 06 generation R1. Um I've always really liked that generation. Um, and I think that I could get one with at or below 10,000 miles. It's really clean for around that price, but I'm not sure it's going to happen within the next few months just because, you know, uh, people are able to get a premium price for them right now and they're easy to sell, just like I figured out with my Supermoto, uh, in the TX750. So I'm contemplating keeping the Nighthawk for a couple few months and just ride it until maybe the fall or winter. And then see if I can find a better deal on a on a motorcycle. What are you guys' thoughts? Um, <laughs> I'm at a loss because so, <laughs> I don't. To me, all the four cylinder leader bikes kind of fall into the yeah yeah category. So I don't even ever pay attention to them. So I know I'm I'm not going to be of much. I was, my suggestion was going to be something like a Moto Guzzi Grizo, you know, something yeah. like that. But I don't think it's going to have the power you want. Well, I don't. So, like, two months ago when I was thinking about a motorcycle that I would love to have, power wasn't even a consideration. I mean, I was looking at things like, uh, like the NC700Xs, and like, you know, <laughs> just something fuel-injected that would get me to point A and point B that sat super upright, that had a gigantic windshield on the front of it, you know, just something like a highway cruiser, um, but, you know, not not as heavy as a Goldwing, but just something really comfortable. But then, I, I don't know, I just, like, just spending the time on the Tuano, and I realized uh, the last time I rode it, towards the end of the ride, uh, I had never given it full throttle. So like, you know, on a motorcycle, you twist the throttle and some of them twist a lot further than others. Well, I, I've ridden my friend Swano probably uh, five or six times now. And I didn't realize until the last ride that it had probably at least a quarter more throttle, which with carburation, the difference between three quarters throttle and full throttle really isn't much of a difference at all. But I don't know what kind of witchcraft they tuned into the Tuano in the last quarter of throttle because it was ridiculous how much more power it had. I, it was fast anyways. Um, but then when I figured out what full throttle actually felt like, it was like going back in time. It was pretty wild. Um, so now I'm just kind of hooked on the lightweight, high performance, huge horsepower kind of thing and i don't know that's another reason why i think i should probably just wait on buying a motorcycle because i don't know if this is just something that i'll get over after i ride his bike a few more times and then want to go back to the slow and steady okay so, I, 
go ahead, Eric. <laughs> so I, I, I've put two things in our in our private chat. That one I should have just put the link to it, but I, I copied and pasted. Uh, in uh, the AF1 Racing Aprilia Forum, the the people from Austin. Um, if you ever want to know anything about Aprilia, that's where you go. So there's I just did a search for in their for sale section for Ooh, uh, two of them, and there's one depending on how you want to go. If you want to go V4. Uh, there is a, what is this, a 2013, now granted this is well over your price by about 20%, um, or about 25% actually, uh, but it's a 13 Tuano with 2,300 miles, it's already had its service, it's already got like a pipe on it and a couple other goodies, uh, and it's right by AF1 Racing, it's been serviced by them, and it's $7,800. Yeah. Now the difference between the one you're riding and this one, are there differences? Yes. Are there ones you're really going to notice? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then if you want to go toward a little more toward your a little closer to your price point and, and uh, again, a little I sound like a real estate agent or a car salesman, if you can stretch your budget just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> um, if you want to go with the older version of Tuana, which the looks, the, I mean, the, the bike itself is, I, I like the nose of it is yeah, some days I like it, some days they don't. But I know someone who had one of these things and they said it was brilliant. Um, it's an 09, which is the V twin one, <clears throat> which you get that motor is dead solid reliable. I mean, that thing is, that thing is a tank motor. Um, it's got a little more miles. I think it's got like 19.5, but it's well kept up. It's got uh Leo Vinci exhaust. The thing looks immaculate for $6,700. Yeah. Um, and it's like that. I would spend, I would put it this way. I would spend my own money on, on that particular, that second. It is a, sure. a beautiful bike. Um, did they come with forged wheels or did yes. this person? Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause this is the, uh, our, the factory model. Oh so yeah. It it's had got the, the upgraded wheels and, and the Oline suspension and, yeah. um, some of the other, other goodies to go with it. So yeah, I mean, that's top spec that, that, yeah. era, that, that era, that's pretty much top spec. But you know, do you think that that is better than an FZ one, a second generation FZ one, you know, like practically, FC1 is relatively cheap. So, it's a decent performer. I'll, I'll what I'll what I'll I'll say it this way: You're never going to go wrong buying a Yamaha, and I say this as a bit of a Yamaha fanboy. But yeah. the Aprilia fanboy in me says, if you're not going to be riding this thing every day, if you want something that can pretty much do it all and is going to have uh, attitude and emotion. Then the Aprilia has got to be the call. Well, no, it's, it's true though. It's, it, and so it has more emotion. Whole, it has more emotions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Except you'd have to put that in Italian. Um, uh, it has more emotion. Um, anyways, uh, and there's a whole thing going on with Porsche with the old flat six versus the new turbo four and the Boxsters and the Caymans. And, and it comes, it comes down to one may be better than the other, but it's about the driving experience and what makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. And I will tell you that V twin sound with yeah. Leo's is going to sound, I don't care how good that, that, uh, that uh, FZ one is going to sound. It's not going to sound as good as a V twin, yeah. uh, a 60 degree V twin with Leo's on it. And right. it's going to do everything. And the motors is going to be just as reliable. So, and you're never, well, I can't say that because up in the Northwest, you actually will see more of these things, but you're not going to see, you're unlikely to see yourself coming and going on the Aprilia as you would be on the Yamaha, which is always a big thing for me. Okay. Yeah. I, and go ahead, Pete. I, I have. I'm going to change the subject completely. I'm going to offer you something way out of left field. Okay. A 650 twin sport tour 
with hard saddlebags, brand new for fifty four hundred dollars. Would you be interested? Uh you haven't given me the make and model. <laughs> um yeah, no, I would be interested. A twenty fourteen CF Moto six fifty TK. That is a great looking motorcycle. They are fan it now. Uh the twenty thirteens they had some uh minor build quality with some of the add-on parts for it. 2014, everything I've read about them is that they're they're actually incredibly well built. Uh they they're actually pretty popular as a beginner's sport tour bike down in Australia. I talked to some Australians that have them and have had them for years and they said they really hold up very well. Now down there, they're not going to have, you know, a whole lot of humidity and corrosion problems like you would have possibly in the northwest but uh there is one that is a hundred miles north of you <laughs> that is sitting on a dealer's floor and it's uh 49.99 plus freight and setup yeah so fifty four hundred dollars i i feel like i would have a hard time looking at something like that when i could get a 2013 FC1 with 4,500 miles on it that's owned by a 60-year-old man who's the original owner. And it's he's asking $6,500. It's more money, but I feel like it's also a whole bunch more bike. What if we pulled, I mean, and I got to take a guess out of here, 25 to 30 horsepower out of your needs? I, you know, I feel like that would and, be way more responsible for me. <laughs> I don't need 170 horsepower. <laughs> how would, how would you feel about a 2005 BMW R1200GS? I thought about getting an adventure tour type bike. Um, and I would love a BMW. It's something I'm not ruling out. I saw that one that you posted, and it's in Portland too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, exactly. That's why I'm looking in the yeah. Portland Craigslist here as we're talking. So, yeah, I mean, I was I looking could, to see I if there was like a hundred thousand miles on that bike. Because I, I was originally looking to see if there was like an S one thousand or something oh, in there. there that, yeah, there is. But there is an S. There is an S one thousand R and an S one thousand RR in um, in Portland. They're out of my price range, but I'm also thinking about how i could put together ten thousand dollars because so my what current else budget, can you sell <laughs> well my current budget is six i still i intend to sell the nighthawk once i find a replacement motorcycle um but if i sold the nighthawk first then i i could probably get 1800 bucks for it or so so that puts me up to about eight thousand and, you know, I still do have some other motorcycles I could sell. I'm just, like, thinking about, do I want to try and stretch the budget up and, and get something that I'll like for a longer period of time or buy something cheaper that'll do me for the <clears throat> next two to three years until I'm done with school and all that? Here, Here's the other side of that equation, though. And, and, here's my, and here's the thing for going on a whim on something like an Aprilia or if you fought the right Ducati or... BMW, whatever, something a little more exotic is given yeah. your pretend, giving your propensity to buy and sell anyways. Right. Um, 
the 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 odds of it sticking around for more than 24 months probably aren't high so if that's the no, case you might like as well zero <laughs> yeah so you might as well go for a different flavor go for a little bit I, more that, adventurous that's of a really pick. good that's a really good point um if it's a forever I, bike, I understand you'd be a little more conservative. But if it's something you're like, well, let me see if I like this. Well, then yeah. have the experience. So I that that's one of the other reasons. I had an R1 years ago, and I I've kind of been there, done that. I don't I don't identify myself as a sport bike rider. Like I, it's uncomfortable. The I don't want my wrist to hurt, um, and so that's why I, I really felt like I wanted something. Um, more casual, I guess, but then just riding the Tuano around kind of sparked that for me. But, you know, the Tuano stays in my garage and it's there specifically so I can ride it because, you know, he has the FCO9 that he rides more regularly and he's got other motorcycles too. So, I mean, I do have a, an Aprilia Tuano sitting in my garage. <laughs> it's not like I need my own, but then again, I just kind of feel bad for riding his bike. I don't, I don't really want to put a bunch of miles on it. So. Um, I, I really like, that, have you ridden that thing too much? In, I mean, you said, you said a little bit, but how, how much dry weather riding have um, you had a chance to do in that, on that? Like almost none. Um, I've put about 170 miles on it now. Um, I did. So my friend and I, uh, he was on the FCO nine. I was on his Chuano. We found a road North of us that I had previously never been on. I I didn't even know it was there. And it was this most incredible road with, it was there are turns and turns and turns with almost no intersecting roads and lots of elevation gain and loss. Um, mm. But it was all like um, 40 mile an hour speed limit roads with 25 mile an hour corners that were mm. really, really banked. And so we could ride pretty aggressively, but also stay within a reasonable speed where if something did go terribly wrong, at least it would happen at 25 miles an hour and not a hundred miles an hour. So, um, <laughs> but I got to learn the Tuano really well on the road. And what's incredible is this road wasn't in super good shape. It didn't have potholes, but it was just a little bit rough and bumpy. And we got to compare the FZ09, which, as you guys know, has kind of a reputation for weak suspension and kind of a pogo stick rear shock. And then compare it to something like the Tuano. And it is so impressive how much more refined the Tuano is. And I know that some people would expect that being you know, a $14,000, uh, super naked, but it really is an amazing street bike. Like I'm sure it would perform spectacularly well at the track, but the suspension works so well on the street, even on rough pavement. And I think that's kind of what has been pushing me towards getting something more sporty just because I had such an incredible experience riding that road on the Tuano. Um, but I feel like if I got something like an R1, I would be disappointed because it's just still not that good. Mm -hmm. It's just not a Tuano. So I like your suggestion about like the adventure tour. I think that I would have a lot of fun on something like that. And also, um, I don't think I would regret it either. Like if I get something sporty, I'm going to be uncomfortable on my first ride and then wish I would have got something more upright. And I feel like you can also have a lot of fun on, on an adventure tour also, like a BMW GS. So I do like that suggestion. Are there any left field 
other left field suggestions that you got, Pete? Um, no, not that you would like. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was truthfully my first thoughts when you started talking were, how about like a CTX thirteen hundred or well, a? Uh, I was thinking about a FJR uh thirteen. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because let's see, like the um oh six oh seven oh eight ish era with ABS. Um, something like that. Um, long distance writing is something that I would love to do more of. Um, but I just have a tough time finding the time to do it. So, um, I do think that getting a bike that's capable of it would be beneficial. I just don't know whether or not I'm going to be able to do a bunch of long distance riding. So that's kind of where I'm at with something like the FJR. The other thing I was thinking of is what a, what about something like a, a Triumph Street Triple, like a 675. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that was my first thought when this whole budget came up. And, like, and I think that was the first link I posted in there was a, was a Street Triple R. Yeah. Was that on in Portland? Yes. Yeah. I was going to say there there was at least one Street Triple in Portland. I I love the idea of a Street Triple. I don't know Triumph as a brand very well. And so... I'm kind of like you where I like keep gravitating towards Yamaha's because I've always owned Yamaha's and I'm kind of a Yamaha fanboy. And so I think about a triumph and I don't know anything about them. And so that like makes me nervous about the ownership experience. I just don't know if they're reliable and if they have any inherent problems. So that's the only reason why I haven't like actively looked at a street triple, but a motorcycle like that, I think, would be really cool. And the only other thing that I was kind of bounce around, if you want high power, but you're not looking for a race bike and you want something you could potentially take longer trips on, Hayabusa. Yeah. Uh, if you can find a stock one that doesn't have a you know extended swing yeah. arm and neon know, lights that's... on it and everything, <laughs> from what I understand about them, they will run and run and run. I mean, you can find one with twenty five, mm-hmm. thirty thousand miles on it, and it's still going to run like a new motor. So, right. you know, that's yeah. Not- and the same uh, Spiegler company, they make a the like an upright style bar for those two. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people do some fairly extensive sport touring, and as as long as you do put higher bars on them, the seat peg relationship isn't too bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So another possible suggestion, and they're out there. They've made them long enough that you can yeah. find them used. Yeah, I think I'm not going to rush into buying anything just because I don't know what I want just yet. But also, I really, really try to make every attempt to get as good a deal as I can. And so I think right now is just not a good time. Spring, high demand. Yeah. Yeah. And so like we have not yet had a 70 degree day here until today. And now it's 82. Yesterday, (laughs) it was 60 degrees. Today, it's 82. It's the warmest day of the year today, and like I said, we haven't even broken 70 degrees yet until today. And so I am sure that the motorcycle market is going to be um, a hot one in the next few weeks. I'm sure that's why my motorcycle sold so quick, too. All right, Garrett, what if I told you a 2007 Tuano R with, we can trace the entire history, for $3,800? Wow. Would you be interested? I would be interested. <laughs> I mean, if you can trace its entire history and for that low of a price, I feel like it's definitely worth thinking about. It's It's been owned by uh, the Aprilia, someone in the Aprilia Forum its entire life. Yeah. It's got higher miles, but again, that motor is kind of a bulletproof but thing. 
but also for the price though like who cares <laughs> if it's yeah if it's documented and it runs and runs well i'm i'm certain a person could put enough miles on that bike to get that value out of it yeah where is that it is in it's in arizona but you yeah. know things can get for for that price it, who cares if it costs you four, four or five hundred bucks to ship it right yeah uh, i might i might have to think about something like that i'm gonna make that better as i scroll down here uh, price dropped to thirty four hundred dollars. Wow! Hey, that's that's <laughs> like, that, yeah, that that's a pretty good deal. And because he's only going to drive it about a couple thousand miles, then he's going to sell it. So mileage yeah, exactly. really doesn't make any difference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> seriously. And you know, in the last year, I think in total, out of all the motorcycles that I own, I have probably put about a thousand riding miles collectively on all of them. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> so it really doesn't make any difference what you own. <laughs> I will change the oil more times than I will put miles on a bike. Like, <laughs> I think the TX750 that I had, I changed the oil probably four times and put 300 miles on it. I'm going to make a suggestion. And then this one's going to get me in trouble. The V-Rod Street Rod. Cameron's not on the show. You know what? <laughs> I, he, I, I, I could he, go for you, though. He, you know me better than you think you do, <laughs> because I did think about if I could live with myself if I bought one of these, because secretly I like it. But well, it's the one I, Harley with a strong engine and uh, good reliability and decent ergonomics with right. you know the foot pegs in the right spot. So I they're I love the way they look and, um, and they're going for about six, seven grand. I rip on Harley so much and like. The idea, the you know, the closest that I ever got to one was owning my Buell. And even then, I just had a tough time living with myself. <laughs> I don't know. I I would love it if my friend owned one and I could ride it and just <laughs> live vicariously. Have the Harley experience without being a Harley owner. Okay. No, but seriously, I gave some consideration into getting something like this. I not, I have not ruled it out yet. Well, we'll continue to follow what you're thinking and find out how long it takes to actually pull the trigger on something. So, yeah, we'll see. I don't know what I'm going to get yet, but I feel like no matter what, it's going to be a surprise to everybody. Including so, yourself? Get a, including myself, yeah. You'll you'll have an 1125R Buell? Uh, maybe the, uh, not the 1125. The 1190. But, yeah. I... There's probably some new ones around that you could pick up. I really bet you I could get one for 10 yeah, or even less. I don't know what they're going for now, but if somebody still got it on their floor, they will deal. <laughs> right. <laughs> Have Buell will deal. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think the CF Moto has more resale possibility than a Buell. So that's true. Yeah, but Buell that... people are like Tesla people. They're They're just fanatics. So you'll always always find that one fanatic. Considering that I will resell it, it would be foolish of me to buy a Buell because I feel like I would lose a lot of money on it, even if I bought it for half of its MSRP. Well, you're not um, going to have that 10 people lined up at your door ready to no. buy it. No, <laughs> no, no, no. What about like I a TX750 like if you could find a really good one, you know, that had a decent <laughs> starter clutch? Like in it. <laughs> one, yeah, one that had a fully upgraded starter. <laughs> uh, Yeah. The guy that bought that, that was his first motorcycle. Wow. I tried to steer him towards the Nighthawk. I had the Nighthawk listed. He saw the TX750 and emailed me about it. 
And then like five minutes later, it's like, oh, I just saw your other listing for the Nighthawk. I want to look at both of them. I'm looking for my first bike. And I really, really tried to steer him towards the Nighthawk just for a maintenance perspective. The TX750 parts are difficult to get for it. It's an old bike. It, it it's I mean, some of those things might make it a good first motorcycle, but this guy didn't really seem like he knew what a 10 millimeter wrench was. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I yeah, really that's who you want to buy a hey. TX750. Yeah. At least he bought mine because mine was sorted. very yeah. well sorted. Yeah. Um, but I, I really tried to steer him towards the Nighthawk, but he didn't bite. He he came in like this 50s looking leather jacket with like Ray-Ban sunglasses with the, you know, the done up cafe racer hairdo. And so I I knew straight away he was going home with the TX750. Okay. Well, so much for our idea of keeping our episodes to 30 to 40 minutes. But yeah. keep us informed and... Uh, We'll see everybody next week. Anything you guys want to plug other than our usual uh, see us on Facebook, see us um, on Hooniverse? I want to hear everybody's suggestions because I feel like our listeners know all the obscure motorcycles that I haven't even considered yet. And I want to, I, I just want a well-informed decision. So I want to hear about all of the suggestions that anybody might have for a motorcycle between Six and eight thousand dollars. Okay, so you can go leave comments on Hooniverse, or you can go to our Facebook page. That'd probably be the easiest way for us to check stuff. Although I'm supposed to be trying to push people to Hooniverse, so go there and click on the page a couple times, and then go to Facebook and leave us a message. Okay, with that, we'll wrap up. Thank you both for this episode, and I will see you next week. And Listeners, we will talk to you next week. All right.